on this week's 51%, hear from the author of a book highlighting stories of ordinary girls around the world. We generally don't get to see the, the world through a girl's perspective. And then an animated film features a girl's superhero to help children relate to COVID times. I'm Allison Dunn, and this is 51%. Masuma Ahuja spent the last three years reporting on gender around the world, and the stories she uncovered about girls' lives were almost always about sexualization, victimization, or despair. She wondered what accounts of girlhood would be like if girls wrote them themselves, so she started reaching out to global development and community organizations who could connect her with local girls, as well as finding girls through sports clubs, writing workshops, and a network of friends and journalists. Ahuja wanted every girl involved in this project, with just a camera and some basic instructions, to decide how she would share her life and how she would be represented in this book, which is called Girlhood, Teens Around the World in Their Own Voices. Ahuja, former CNN and Washington Post reporter, compiled the book that offers insight into the day-to-day -day lives of 30 teenage girls from 27 countries and showcases their struggles, heartbreaks, and successes through personal diary entries and photographs. Ahuja, a freelance journalist reporting on gender, migration, and human rights, says the book began as a series for the Washington Post platform, The Lily. So the book is born out of a series that I did for The Lily um, before the book, and it was basically the same premise, and it looked very similar, um, where we had 12 girls from 10 different countries share their share their lives with us through their diary entries. Um, and that, that series was it came out of me basically traveling around parts of South Asia, reporting on women's and girls' lives, and realizing very quickly that the types of conversations I was having with people, with girls especially, where they often talked to me about you know, the conversations they were having with their parents or the, the things they wanted to study in college and their hopes and dreams and the fights they had with their friends and their hobbies and day-to-day -day stuff wasn't the kind of stuff that was making news stories I was writing or feature stories I was writing because generally in journalism we tend to focus on um, stories of sexualization and victimization, so gender-based violence are really important stories to tell, but those are the stories we tend to focus on when we tell stories about girls around the world, or on the other side of it, we have stories about girls like Malala and Greta, exceptional girls fighting back, and the vast in-between is where most girls' lives actually exist, touching on one end or the other from time to time, but there just aren't enough representations of that in the world. And so I wanted to tell those stories, or I wanted to give girls a space to tell those stories of their own. Right. You mentioned Malala from Pakistan, who was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize at age 17, the youngest person to receive this prize, and she was recognized for her work in fighting for every child to have an education. And then you mentioned Greta Thunberg, who made that memorable speech at the United Nations about climate change. And so what kind of stories did you end up telling in this book? And why are they instructive? So the, my, my selection process was very, very much I just wanted to include girls who wanted to share their lives with us. And I, I believe that every girl's story is interesting. And my goal for this book was to capture what ordinary girlhood looked like. So 
as you said, stepping away from those headlines, I wanted to know things like, you know, what does a girl in Mongolia or Missouri have in common? What do they both stay up nights worrying about? What do they both dream about? What are the conversations they're having with their friends like? So that was what I set out to do. And that's a little bit of what you get a taste of in this book, where you get a look at just what ordinary life looks like for girls in a lot of different countries. So you have, you know, a girl from Haiti talking about being a chess champion and also her hopes and dreams of what comes next. But that is set to the backdrop of violence in her neighborhood. Or you have um, Sinead from New York who talks about, you know, her big dreams where she wants to be a writer and have a life full of children in the future. And she shares some of her writing and she's a poet. Or you have um, Sathagul from Mongolia who is um, the daughter of nomadic herders and her parents move with the seasons. And she talks a, a little bit about, you know, she stays in her dorm during term time in the city while her parents are moving around. And so what homesickness looks like and what life in a dorm looks like. And then also what her family's life looks like on an ordinary day when she's out there with them. Um, so I was just trying to capture a portrait of what ordinary life looks like, because when we have mostly stories in the headlines of either side of the spectrum, most girls don't see themselves reflected in that entirely. And I wanted this book to be a space where any girl who picks it up can see a little bit of her experience and the types of things she's thinking about spending her days doing, worrying about all of that reflected in the pages of this book. What is a thread that ties all of this together? Because obviously we're talking about such disparate cultures around the world. Yeah, I mean, a thing that I found while I was putting this book together and that is constantly not surprising but catches me um, is that there is so much we all share in common. And I saw myself, I'm much older than these girls, but I saw myself reflected in so many of their stories and the things they write about. And I think that is honestly the thread. I wasn't, you know, I didn't ask girls to focus on one specific thing or the other. I kind of let them all take the lead. So sometimes girls wrote about their friends. Sometimes they really focused on their hopes for the future. Sometimes it was just like the struggles of day-to-day life of, you know, having too much homework. Um, At the same time, a lot of the big picture things that they were thinking about, you know, when they wrote about friends, girls often talked about how they felt like their friendships didn't look like the friendships they saw on TV or read about in books and they just had two or three close friends and you know they they always saw in the movies that people had like the best friend character or like a big set of friends and they didn't have that. Or you had girls who would write about a lot of the girls have um left home, you know, either for high school or or college where they're staying in dorms. They wrote about homesickness and how to navigate being hundreds or thousands of miles away from their families and what that looks like. So there were a lot of common threads between girls where you would, a couple of girls would write about a similar experience, but I think just the universality of so much of what it is to be a human in the world really comes through. And I found myself constantly surprised at how I was nodding along at, at these stories and felt like I saw myself reflected on the pages of a lot of different girls' stories. You know, it's interesting because you couldn't have planned this, but your book is coming out at a time where perhaps we need global unity more than ever. And so featuring, you know, girls from everyday life around the world is even more important than probably when you set out, given the context in these days. Can you talk a bit about the process of how you selected the teens and what they were equipped with to tell their stories? Yeah, I I am, as I mentioned earlier, the process of selection was very much I wanted to include girls who wanted to share their stories. I didn't want anyone to ever feel like 
this was going to make them uncomfortable because I recognize this book as a tangible object that will exist long into their adulthood, and they're all very young and at the very beginning of their lives right now. So wanted to make sure them, their families, their communities were okay with it, and were excited about this opportunity. And beyond that, I knew that I could never create a book that was comprehensive of every girl's story or every type of story that existed, because there are hundreds of millions of girls out in the world, and you know, there's just no way that one book could capture the vast vastness of their experiences. But I did want to create a book that was diverse and inclusive and included a broad range of different types of stories. So that, that in essence, was how I went around selecting girls. And sometimes I was reaching out to people I knew, journalists or friends in different countries. Sometimes like one of the girls, Alejandra, um, from Argentina, I found her through a soccer club for, for young women in Buenos Aires. Or Claudia, who's on the cover, she is a surfer from Vanuatu, and I found her through the Vanuatu Surf Association, where they have a program for for girls and young women who are surfers. So I really found girls in every way possible who wanted to to share a little piece of their lives with the world. Um, and in terms of what they were equipped with, I shared the same instructions with every girl of what a diary entry looked like, and shared instructions in the language that they they spoke and wrote and. Um, and gave them some set of like broad guiding questions, if you know, the types of things you could write in a diary entry. For example, you could write about what you did that day, what you had for breakfast and lunch, and who you met that day, how you were feeling, what you were looking forward to, what was on your mind, you know, what you what you had on your to do list. Um, and then I encouraged them to also just throw out my instructions and write about whatever they felt like was important, because I really wanted them to to lead where this went and not feel like they were constrained by any sort of former structure. And very often I went back to them and asked further questions. Some girls had journals already that they kept and they said, hey, can I just send you a few photos of my journal entries? And that was fine with me. Sometimes girls would come back and have written English class style essays um, with a thesis statement. And I would go back to them and you know, ask more questions about just what their days looked like and ask for less of a formal structure. Um, so it really varied from girl to girl, but for the most part, I was just encouraging girls who wanted to share their lives with us to talk about their days and what was happening in the world around them, what they were thinking about, and how they were feeling. What do you think the stories tell about the world in which we're in? I mean, what is what did you learn, or what do you think the readers will, will take away? So it's interesting. A thing that I've been thinking a lot about recently with this book is it was reported and compiled mostly in 2019 before the pandemic. And so it is in some ways an artifact of the world right before everything changed for all of us, where, you know, girls were able to, wherever they were, they were able to go out and meet people and for that to be safe. Um, and there, there's a little bit of that in the book, which looking at it now as a reader myself, I, I catch myself thinking about, oh, this is the world before everything changed. But for the most part, I, I hope that everyone who picks up this book, like me, is a little bit surprised at at how they see themselves reflected in stories of girls from places they might not expect to see themselves reflected. There's I have included a little bit of reporting research and context about each girl's country or community or circumstances or things she wrote about to give a reader some context who might not be familiar with either the places she lives in or the things she's writing about. So there's a little bit of learning there. But looking at all the different cultures and contexts and circumstances there is so much universality in just what it is to be a person in the world, both in terms of aspirations and joys and hopes, 
And then also on the other side of the ways in which girls are shamed or policed or restricted. So a lot of this is universal wherever you are, whether you are in South Africa or India or New York or Mongolia. What, how do you think the girls, uh, did they feel empowered? Did you get the sense that they were empowered by being able to tell their everyday stories and knowing it's going to be compiled in this book that, as you said, is now going to be on the shelves you know, through their adulthood? Yeah, it was, a, it was a question that sometimes used to come up where they didn't understand why I wanted to know the boring stuff of their lives. Right? Like I would ask really mundane questions from time to time. Like, oh, you wrote about you know, reading a book. What were you reading? Like, what are your favorite books? I want to, like, list what music you like. Or, like, one of the girls, Halima, in Afghanistan, loves Celine Dion, which is a thing that has stuck with me, because I can picture her singing along to Celine Dion like I did when I was her age. Um, And I think with time, I hope that it was empowering for them to recognize that the stuff of their lives is important enough to be published in a book. And I hope that every girl who picks it up gets a little bit of that as well. Like your life is important and your story is important. And the things that you think about are, are worth reading about in a book. And what do you think teenage girls, you know, around the world are coping with now? Um, How are they thriving differently than, you know, teens 10, 20, 30 years ago? What is it that you're finding in terms of what's really changed? Right. I think, One thing that we all talk about a lot and think about is the impact of social media where there's a lot more opportunity to be connected with communities outside of your own. There's a lot of access to other people in other parts of the world. It's much easier to find people who share your interests or your identities or who are moving through the world asking the same types of questions that you are and wrestling with the same types of things at the same time on the flip side of it it's also very easy to look at lives as they exist curated on our feeds and think the same thing. My life doesn't look like that. My life doesn't look exactly like an influencer is in another part of the world. Or I don't spend my days doing these things that other people are clearly doing. So it's two sides of that. And then the other thing I would say, which is very specific to this time right now, is a lot of the girls who I'm talking to now in my work talk a lot about the isolation of, of this time, wherever in the world they are, where so many of them haven't been in school for months, they haven't been able to see their friends, are, like all of us, are navigating the world on virtual calls at their phones or laptops and doing a lot of learning, if, if that's happening at all where they are, on, online and in a, time, in a time in life, which is already so defined by just like trying to figure out who you are and how you move through the world and figuring out your relationships with people around you, navigating all of that virtually and being isolated from your community can be especially difficult. Sure. And uh, you've, you've referenced a few of the stories, and I'm wondering if there are one or two you want to share more details about that really just stuck with you, stick with you, you know, kind of you wake up thinking about sometimes maybe, maybe that's going too far, but I don't know. No, it's a good question. The cheesy answer is that it really depends on where I'm at in my life. But two girls I think about often, um, one of them, Baraksha, she's from China and was going to school in the UK when she wrote her diary entries. And the other one, Barbara, is from Russia. And they both wrote about something that felt very familiar to me and felt like they had almost torn a page out of my journal when I was 17 and copied and pasted it. Or they had like looked over each other's shoulders as they wrote these, except they both wrote in different languages and 
far as I know, don't know each other and never have communicated with each other, where they both wrote about that very specific, in my mind, teenage feeling of there's this big world out there and there's so much exciting, interesting stuff waiting for you. And you need to get out of the boring town you're in and you need to break free of the world as it exists around you to go on big adventures. And one of them did where she moved from China to the UK. And then she wrote about how Eunice is very exciting, but also she longs for home and she's very homesick and she missed her family and the world she knew. And she wrote about missing, you know, bowls of noodles, which was a thing that she was so excited to to go and try different food in other places. But this was a thing that she missed um, after she had left home. And for me, I, I've also moved many times in my life. And so it, it was the thing that really stuck with me where their words really hit a nerve for me as an adult, even where I felt like they articulated things I was thinking about and wrestling with perhaps more eloquently than even I could have articulated. Masuma, who's your audience for this book? Any girl anywhere in the world. I want, I mean, my audience is everyone. I think boys should read this book too and men and women, but I think I was writing for, for the girls in the book and other girls like them where I hoped that any girl who picked up this book would would see something reflected in the pages which reminded her that she wasn't alone in going through all the very specific things that happen when you're 14, 15, 16, 17, and also got to see the world through other girls' eyes because we generally don't get to see the, the world through a girl's perspective. And by the way, I love the photo of the surfer on the front who you mentioned earlier because her stance is so powerful. And it just, um, I love how that was chosen as the standout photo, the larger photo on the cover because of that. Uh, she's almost in like an, a yoga warrior pose on that surfboard, you know, <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's really, it's powerful. Um, you know, while, while you're taking in peripherally the other girls and you're seeing such diversity on the cover, which is, you know, and maybe you could speak about that, about the importance of bringing diversity, you know, to the table here when we're talking about teens. Right. I, I very intentionally wanted to, we had great designers for this book for the cover and also inside, but I I remember early conversations where I was very intentional about we're not going to feature only one girl because this is a story of lots of girls. And I wanted any girl who looked at the book to to see faces like her own, you know, whoever she was. Growing up, I didn't have a lot of books where the main characters lived in the places I lived or looked like me. So this was this was partly an attempt at like creating something a younger version of me would want. And I knew that I wanted to make sure that every girl's story, voice, words were given equal weight. No one's story was centered any more than anyone else's. You know, they're just all listed alphabetically one after the other. And you have been to any, any page in the book and it'll like, you can dive into anyone's story and it doesn't feel like you have to, read one story to understand the rest, but also there's something about looking at all of them that that gives you a sense of how universal a lot of things are. Um, but I, I very much wanted it to be something any girl who picked up the book, whoever she was, would see a face that maybe looked like hers or her friends or think, this could be my neighbor, this could be my sister. What's next? What's next is, it's funny where books are supposed to be an end product, I don't know, this is my first book, but that's what I envisioned at least. And it didn't feel like I was done when I was done with this book. And as this book is coming out into the world, because there are so many more girls than the 30 featured in this book. And I just want to give more girls spaces to tell their own stories. So I'm working on a new media venture, which is 
born out of this book very much so, um, where one side is storytelling workshops for girls around the world and working with them to give them the tools to tell their own stories and then giving them a platform to amplify their voices, so publishing their words and their work, um, which is just taking the mission of this book and expanding it out onto the internet to reach even more girls. Masuma Ahuja is a freelance journalist based in London reporting on gender, migration, and human rights. Her book, Just Out, is called Girlhood, Teens Around the World in Their Own Voices. And now KALW Sandy Broy brings us a story about looking at the COVID pandemic through the eyes of India's girl superhero. In a time of pandemic and global anxiety, everyone wants a knight in shining armor. But if you can't get a knight on a white horse, how about a superhero on a tiger? Come on, let's go on a journey. Have you ever been on a flying tiger? Priya's Shakti is a comic and an animated film about India's first female superhero, Priya and her flying tiger, Sahas. Created in the aftermath of the brutal gang rape of a young woman in Delhi in 2012, Priya has taken on issues like rape, acid attacks and the trafficking of women. But this time, says her Indian-American creator Ram Devineni, she's taking on the pandemic and the disinformation around it. Mainly about the, the virus, but uh, the blaming on people um, from different nationalities, uh, religions, or um, even like poor people. This is Sandeep Roy in Kolkata. Priya does not have a vaccine against the virus. She's not slaying the virus in as much as she's allaying fears about it. A little girl called Meena is sad because her mother, a healthcare worker, cannot spend time with her the way she used to. Priya gives her a ride on the tiger so she can see the work her mother does. I am sure she misses you too, Meena. But right now, she is the hope these patients need. Monica Samtani, co-producer of Priya's Mask, can relate to that. Her husband is a healthcare worker in the Washington, D.C. area. They were not seeing anything but COVID patients. They even set up a tent outside in the parking lot so that they would have enough room for COVID patients. It was just becoming insane. We were afraid that, first of all, what we're dealing with in the world, what we're dealing with in our own home, will he get sick? Will we get sick? This anxiety has been part of our common experience. Devineni's father in New Jersey had to give up his pediatric practice, one he's had since 1975. Uh, when the pandemic hit, um, it was just too dangerous for him. Co-producer Tanvi Gandhi lost someone close to her family. Everything was virtual. Um, all of us bid him goodbye through Zoom. Uh, it was just, you know, an experience that none of us will ever forget. She says it's been especially hard for kids, which is why Priya's mask looks at the pandemic through the eyes of young Mina. It was important to target this through a child because I think, like we were saying, nobody has spoken to them this year. They have spent an entire year living virtually. Indrani Ray, another co-producer, heard from an American woman whose husband was a doctor and who had a daughter about the same age as little Mina in Priya's mask. The woman was overwhelmed. And she's like, you know, thank you for making this because my daughter saw it. My daughter keeps on saying every day, my father, is daddy going to die of COVID? Because everyone is dying. She sees the news. She's like six, seven years old. She said, you know, when my daughter saw this, she said, mama, she's like me, you know. In Priya's mask, the little girl sees her hometown rendered unfamiliar by the pandemic. 
Her favorite ice cream parlor is empty. Streams of migrants with masks are walking the streets. Meanwhile, in the town of Chutneyville, the wicked villain Baba Kaboom is trying to seize power by telling people masks are for sissies. India's Priya and Pakistan's Burka Avenger team up to defeat Baba Kaboom, who catches the virus himself. And if that reminds you of a certain bombastic politician, that's probably a coincidence. No, co- no <laughs> comment. No comment. He reminds us of someone. Monica Samtani says, Priya's mask might be set in India, but it resonates far and wide. With Biden coming in with his 100 days, you know, first 100 days of office and what he's requested of everybody to wear a mask, I think the timing couldn't be better with our story. In the end, says the comics writer Shubhra Prakash, Priya's mask is a reminder that big or small, we need that superhero. But they are already there among us. Think about the sacrifices a few people are making, you know, out there to make sure we're safe. Doctors, nurses, grocery workers, delivery persons. The real reason the world is able to keep moving. Priya, herself a survivor of rape, reminds us that Powerless as we might feel, we too have a choice, says Ram Devineni. And the question becomes, is, do you want to be a victim or a survivor of this pandemic? This is Sandeep Roy in Kolkata. Continue to wear a mask for your safety and mine. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Tina Rennick for production assistance. Our executive producer is Dr. Alan Shartok. Our theme music is Glow in the Dark by Kevin Bartlett. This show is a national production of Northeast Public Radio. If you'd like to hear this show again, sign up for our podcast or visit the 51% archives on our website at wamc.org. This week's show is number 1647.